0: afternoon. The first is if you have a cell phone, if you could either turn it off or in do not disturb, we'd really appreciate that. And then secondly, if you have little ones with you, if you could switch them over into uh, don't disturb as well. Sadly, they don't have that. So uh, we have a cry room and a train chapel in the back where you can still see and participate with the service uh, if your little ones are in need of special attention. So thank you. We'll get started in a few moments. Friends and family, I want to welcome you today in the strong name of the Lord Jesus Christ as we gather together to remember the life of Tom Corliss, a trophy of God's grace, a brand plucked from the fire. As we begin, please hear the word of God as it's read to you. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. There is appointed a time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory." O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will will no longer be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Please pray with me. Our great God and our Father, we pray that you would attend to us, your people, today. We pray that as we gather and remember and mourn and grieve, that you would be the God of all comfort to us. We pray especially that you would be the God of all comfort to Lucy and her family. Father, we pray that you would be near to the brokenhearted, that you would lift up the faces that are cast down, that you would set our eyes firmly on our Lord Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead, And one day who will raise each and every one of us from the dead as well. We pray that you would be honored in our service this afternoon. We ask this in our Savior's great and mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would please stand as we sing hymn 693 together, Blessed Assurance.
1: Two passages of scripture this afternoon in memory of Tom and the work that Christ has done for him the first is Galatians 2.20 given to me by Lucy I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me the second is in Romans eight thirty one through thirty nine. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.
2: Well, at this point, we're going to have Tommy and Tony Corliss come on up, and they're going to share about their dad.
3: Good afternoon. On behalf of the entire family, we would like to thank you all for coming. For those who do not know us, we are Tom's sons, Tom and Tony, and we'd like to tell you a little bit about our dad. Um, Before I do that, I would like to read a small short chronology of my dad's life. Dad was born Ralph B. Corliss on November 3rd, 1935, to our grandparents Ralph and Helen Corliss in Battle Creek, Michigan. He was the second of four children. He was preceded in death by his sisters Marcia and Marlene, survived by his brother Terry, the family moved west to Sun Valley, California, when he was 10, and then settled in North Hollywood, where Dad went to North Hollywood High School, eventually dropping out in 10th grade. He started working at a young age, doing various jobs such as a paperboy, to help contribute to his family. Dad served in the army as the Korean War was coming to an end, and then in the reserve for six more years, eventually being dishonorably—I'm sorry—honourably discharged. <laughs> In 1962, he started with the phone company in 1956, where he met our mom, Carmela. They married in 1957, where dad worked hard and went to night school to get his high school diploma. After a few years in North Hollywood, they bought a home in Burbank. There, my sister, Kathy, brother Tony and I were raised. Dad loved coaching football and baseball and playing fast pitch softball in the local park and rec league in Burbank. After my parents' divorce in the late 70s, dad married Lucy in 1980. In 1985, they moved from Southern California to San Ramon, where he retired in 1988 from the phone company after 32 years. A few years after moving to San Ramon, they became members of California Community Church in Pleasanton, where dad accepted Jesus Christ into his heart. My dad jumped in with both feet. The transformation was incredible, and there he was baptized and truly saved. Thank
4: you. Well, you can't really describe Dad with just one word. Even though he was not a complicated man, he did hold certain values and attributes very important. His faith, sense of responsibility, and patriotism were important values to Dad. Being tough in both mind and body, possessing a strong work ethic, being competitive, and a love of the outdoors were attributes that he made that he made sure to instill in us even though religion was not a big part of dad's earlier life later on by god's grace he was able to find his faith and embraced it with all of his heart dad made sure we knew the word we knew the meaning of the word responsibility and its importance in all aspects of life whether it was at school making sure we did our homework and turned it in on time or taking responsibility if we got in trouble and owning that responsibility. No matter what we did or sometimes what we didn't do, it didn't really matter, the nuns were always right. Uh, Playing sports, every position we played had a responsibility to the team and he made sure we knew what those responsibilities were and that we carried them out to the best of our ability. When it came time to get a job, the lesson in responsibility was done with actions, not words. Dad took his job at the phone company very seriously Rather than playing the corporate game, he worked his way up the ladder by dedicating himself to his job and having a strong work ethic. He wasn't always liked, but he was respected. Dad was patriotic, loved his country, and wasn't scared to show it. This was something he instilled in us in a very young age. He was never scared to voice his strong opinions, whether they were asked for or not. So uh, I guess the apple didn't fall too far from the tree, that's for sure.
3: Dad was a tough man, both figuratively and literally. Growing up in poverty and having to overcome deformities in his feet at a young age, he never gave up. He fought and overcame those obstacles. Dad was a fighter, something he learned from his dad. He made sure everyone knew it. My grandpa was a pro boxer during the Depression in Michigan. That's how he provided for his family. Times were tough, and they had little. Dad learned to box at a young age a skill he took to the Army, where he, was, where he boxed competitively. He earned himself the title of South Pacific Champion while he was serving there. I remember being in school and comparing whose dad was the toughest. There was never a doubt. My dad was always the toughest, and he held that title. All you had to do was see those tattoos on his arms and his chest, or look into those eyes to know he meant business. It was important to him that Tony and I learned to box also. Well, it was. I'm sorry. He would set up boxing matches. He had set up boxing matches in the front yard with other kids on the block. (laughs) I was about six when I had my first one. The kid, the kid was eight and much bigger. Dad watched. Dad watched with his buddy as they were sipping beer as I was getting pummeled. It, It wasn't long before I was in tears. But there was no crying when it came to fighting. He sent me back out again and again until the kid just got tired of beating me up and probably let me win.
4: Oh, child fight club. What memories. <laughs> so a lot of kids got to watch their dads umpire men's softball. But how many kids got to watch their dad knock out a player for trying to fight him after getting called out? <laughs> it wasn't much it of a it, it literally happened. It wasn't much of a fight. The guy threw a punch, dad bobbed, laid him out. Then calmly asked his teammates to carry him off the field so they can get going again. Dad taught us to be men. When you meet other men, you look them in the eye, you give them a firm handshake. It's funny, because to this day, my brother and I, especially, we make snap judgments on people by the way they shake our hands.
3: Pay attention. <laughs> <No>.
4: <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. So, you, sorry, sorry. So, no, I know he where i So you respected your elders. That was big on my dad's list of attributes. At the dinner table, you shut up and ate your food, all of it. And I took the brunt end of a lot of that one. Children should be seen and not heard. He was old school, and he was old school when it came to discipline. He disciplined with a heavy hand or strap, monogrammed wooden stick, black leather, diamond belt, whatever happened to be at hands for each. <laughs> we were all taught to respect our mother, do our chores, and not talk back. Finish all of our dinner, and especially, Tommy learned this one, don't aid the apartment building around the corner. <laughs> that was a big one. He made men out of us. Over the years, we've, learned on, we've leaned on so many of these things that Dad's instilled in us. It may not always be fun, may not have always been fun, but it has helped us overcome life's challenges. got that Stop yelling at me. You do this my entire life. This is all you've done to me. <laughs>
3: That's what big brothers do.
4: Dad made sure we knew the value and importance of being competitive, always trying our hardest and never giving up. All lessons we learned while playing sports and have carried with us our entire lives, no matter how hard we thought something was. We were never allowed to quit or give up. Dad loved to coach us in various sports we played, most of all football. He made sure to let us know when we were playing well, and especially let us know when we weren't. All the other coaches just seemed to stay clear when Dad was coaching us when we needed to do better. He taught us that our actions, good or bad, had an effect on the rest of the team, and we had the responsibility to do our best.
3: Perhaps the greatest passion was the love for outdoors. Dad loved hunting and fishing. Growing up, we always looked forward to our annual trips. Memorial weekend was the Lake Crawley trip with Uncle Art, Uncle Dominic, and our cousins, Chris and Ted. This was serious fishing on Uncle Dominic's boat out on the lake. They taught the four of us how to fish. You put the Velveeta cheese on your hook, (laughs) you cast the line, and you wait. You need to focus on the end of your rod, any little movement, and then you set your hook. After a morning on the lake, the four of us cousins would walk along the local creeks. Creeks, that's what they called it. I don't know why. It wasn't creeks. They always thought, we always thought they were two different things. We would spend all day catching trout, cleaning them, bringing them back to the cabin. We were just kids, but could only imagine <clears throat> but could only imagine how tough it was to deal with us. The four of us. Anyways, those were memories we will always cherish. When fall came around, it was pheasant season. Without fail, Thanksgiving weekend was spent chasing pheasants up in Three Rocks, California with Gary and Joanne Minetti. It was great getting to go hunting. And, <clears throat> and started out. it started out with Dad's pellet rifle, which I got and I passed down to Tony when he was old enough. And then I got to carry the four ten. There was no doubt in my mind I was going to kill a pheasant with that pellet gun, though. We were ready for anything that flew by. The style of hunting was a little different. We would be in the back of my dad's four—I'm sorry land cruiser. They would drive the dirt roads waiting for pheasant to run across the road. When, the, when they saw a pheasant run across the road, they would speed up, put the car in neutral, and let the car go into the cotton fields. There they would bail out. The land cruiser would roll into the fields with Tony and I still in the back. We, we would watch the birds fall from the sky. By the time we were able to get out the back door, they were already picking up the birds. It didn't matter. We were hunting, and we were carrying guns, and we were men. We spent many wonderful years there. We built lifelong friendships with Gary and Joanne, Sherry, Nina, and Shelley. They're like our cousins. I will always treasure those memories. Summer meant Arizona, and visiting Uncle Kathy and Uncle Tony, Aunt Kathy and Uncle Tony, we'd load up the VW bus with everything we could and head out around 2am. The only thing we would stop for was gas. I know that that drive was less than eight hours, but I swear it seemed like a full day's ride. My dad was not big on stopping, so we brought pre-made meals that my mom would make and drinks too, and the drink bottles would double for urinals. We ain't stopping. <laughs> Once in Arizona, it's all fun. Getting to spend time with our cousins, Lisa and Benny, Carl and Mike, was something we looked forward to every year. They had a built in pool, we would spend all day in it. Aunt Kathy had a walk in pantry with all the best treats and Captain Crunch cereal. We would go in and shut the door and eat as much as we could before we got caught. <laughs> Uncle Tony and Dad were like brothers. They would joke around, they had funny names for each other, they would talk in funny accents and just crack us kids up. They taught us the difference on how to act and talk, being with the boys and then from being with the women when they came home.
4: Deer hunting was another love of dad. I remember him going to Colorado with his phone company buddies and he'd be gone for two weeks. I couldn't wait for him to come home and hear the stories of the deer that they killed and the adventures they had. I remember coming home from school and seeing the deer hanging from the garage rafters and we would show all the kids on the block. We got to eat venison and elk for months after those trips. When dad moved up north, he found a new spot with his friend Dave Hall, Taylor Lake. It's an absolutely gorgeous alpine lake up in the Russian wilderness near the Oregon border. We enjoyed many trips there with dad and now enjoy with our boys.
3: Right. In 2008, Dad brought Tony and I to Nebraska for what, what ended up being our last hunt together. If you've been to Dad and Lucy's house, his bison and elk that he killed are displayed there from that trip. Dad stopped hunting when he was 73, not sure why. Tony and I have made many more trips to Taylor Lake over the years with our boys and to Colorado too. Okay, get your hand. Through, Through sports and outdoors is where we seem to learn our values that dad thought were important. Always do your best, play hard, never give up, Don't let your teammates down. Dad made sure we understood that fishing and hunting is not just about catching fish or killing animals. He never, he taught us never to take the easy way. If you want to be successful, hike where no one else will go. Be tough, push through when things get difficult or uncomfortable, be responsible, don't waste an animal, eat what you've taken. But most of all, the most important lesson of all is to enjoy the camaraderie with friends and family cherish the lifetime bonds that we've created. Thank
0: you. We can remain seated as as we sing together the Old Rugged Cross. Before we sing this it would be good to note that uh, all of these songs were selected by Tom to be sung today. So let's sing together the Old Rugged Cross.
2: One of these days, my sons can say, maybe not all of that about me, but but, but just, it was, um, dads, remember the life that you live makes an impact on your sons. And when you die, you want to make sure they're able to stand up. And say good things from the heart. Well, we're going to hear from granddaughter Christina and bonus daughter Lisa.
5: Was trying to delay the inevitable for just a few more moments. All right. Grandpa was a tough nut to crack. He was a bit ornery and more than a bit stubborn. There was his way and the wrong way. He also had a strict daily routine that had little room for large changes and surprises. So what happens when a messy, unstructured, and frankly lost 12-year-old girl who has a very different view on the world comes crashing into his life? Well, they begin to journey down a rocky path together that ultimately teaches them both to be better people. My mom and I essentially landed on his doorstep when I was 12 in the aftermath of my parents' separation. I had been uprooted from the world I knew and plunked right here in Gardnerville, Nevada. I was scared and confused, and Grandpa offered a safe place to land. He took on a guardian role for me and became an unmovable rock in the turbulent storm that was my life. I think when grandpa saw me, he knew he could offer me more wisdom and guidance then than he could when he was raising his own daughter. I think maybe I was a redemption arc for him. Grandpa taught me a great many things about life, That's not to say I always learned the lesson that he wanted me to. But (laughs) today I would like to share with you some of the things that Grandpa taught me. When I was five, he taught me that smoking makes your breath stink. (laughs) And I decided I would never be a smoker. When I was eight... Grandpa taught me to stand up for myself and how to defend myself against bullies. I don't think he intended for me to punch a boy in the nose the next week at school uh, and get sent to the principal's office. I do think that he was proud, though. (laughs) Uh, When I was a teenager, Grandpa taught me that if I was going to get a tattoo, which I should never do... I better think long and hard about it because he regretted some of the ones that he got when he was young. As I got older, he taught me some harder concepts to grasp. Like how to fundamentally disagree with someone, but still love and respect them as a person. Most importantly, he taught me that it's never too late to change. It's never too late to do better and to be better. My two favorite memories of Grandpa will always be him cleaning his guns on the living room floor as Steve, my now husband of 13 years, took me out on my first date. (laughs) And two, (laughs) going on hikes early in the morning with him and Sadie, my dog, out behind Pawaloo Middle School. We didn't talk much, and that was okay with both of us it was enough just to walk beside each other as the sun rose in the sky. I'm so thankful that he and Grandma always kept an open-door policy to visit when I wound up in town, even if I usually only gave them a 20-minute notice. I'm thankful for the time I got with him and that he got to know my two little ones. One of the last conversations I had with him was about how glad he was knowing that my sister Laura and I We're happy and stable in our lives. I know I owe a part of my personal success in life to the love and generosity that he always showed me. Grandpa, thank you for the lessons you taught and the time you dedicated to me. I believe you're in a better place and I want you to know that I will use the lessons you taught me as a compass to help navigate my own journey through motherhood with Kaylin and Clara. Thank you.
6: We all need these now, huh? (sighs) Family, friends, and beloved church family, today we gather here to celebrate the remarkable life of Tom, a man who played a truly exceptional role in our lives. Tom's journey through life was a testament of grit, hard work, love, kindness, and devotion. As I reflect on his legacy, I can't help but marvel at the incredible impact he had on all of us. Tom was my only father figure, my bonus dad. He came into my life when I was seven years old. I took to calling him Honey, and for the next 43 years, it stuck, it never left. He shared the responsibility of nurturing and guiding a precocious child, but honestly, being in trouble was my standard. I also found a way to be the center of attention through my antics. It wasn't always easy, but Honey's tough love always turned to kindness and unconditional love, even during the most challenging of times. I am forever grateful that I could call him for advice or direction or for a true dose of reality. Honey became a Christian in 1986. After being baptized in the Bible study host's pool, he never looked back. His Christian journey, he never looked back. He was all in. In his Christian journey, Honey's principles continue to inspire me. He exemplified the idea of loving your neighbor as you love yourself, showing this love not only to his family, but to everyone he met. Tom was a neighbor's dream come true. He would go to great lengths to assist those in need, whether it meant shoveling snow from sidewalks, doing electrical work for someone renovating their home, or helping somebody going through a tough time, even due to poor decisions. His willingness to help showcase his character. He was proactive, a person unafraid to take action. He was a true doer. Honey was a man of strong principles and had a deep respect for hard work and determination. He would definitely not let a moment go unnoticed when I achieved something notable. As I got older, I appreciated his opinion and his advice so much, and for that matter, his attention to detail when he cleaned the house, making his hot salsa, and even that he used a set of encyclopedias or probably five years ago. He was old school and that worked for him and he never wavered. He spoke candidly. He offered guidance, discipline, and a shoulder to lean on when I needed it. It wasn't until much later, I truly appreciated all of his advice and life lessons he shared realizing that each of them was a valuable lesson in its own. Uh, Much like God loves his children without merit, despite our inequities, he loved me unconditionally when he didn't have to. Tom's walk with Christ was an instrumental part of his life, and his church family in Nevada held a special place in his heart. He was a strong-willed man who never complained or hinted if something was wrong. Instead, he faced life's challenges with conviction and prayer, His faith was not only a belief, but a way of life that influenced every decision he made and and every person he touched. As we celebrate Tom's life today, let us remember the incredible love of a father that he embodied, his willingness to be the first man on the scene in any situation, his love of Jesus, and his love of America and its founding traditions. His legacy will live on through the lessons he taught us, the humanity he shared, and the love he gave to each of us. So after Tom passed away, I was sitting um, in his chair in the afternoon, and I was looking at his Bible on the side table there, and I was flimming through the pages. And there was a piece of paper that was in his Bible that was very worn, and uh, it struck me pretty profoundly, so I wanted to share it with you guys as I conclude. It said, Christianity is an intimate, growing relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, He is not, repeat, he is not a set of doctrines to believe, habits to practice, or sins to avoid. Every activity God commands is intended to enhance his love relationship with his people. God designed worship for us to see him in his glory and to respond appropriately. For many have degenerated into religion one more meeting to attend out of habit. God established the sacrificial system so that we, his people, could express our love to him, but we often dismiss our gifts to our Lord into futile attempts to appease him and to pacify our guilty conscience. God gave us prayer so we could have a conversation with him, but we often distort this by saying prayers and hurrying off without, without ever listening to what our father's heart has to say. Religious activity, apart from fellowship with God, is an empty ritual. It is possible to pray, attend a worship service, give offerings, and not experience the presence of God. Don't settle for anything less than a vital personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you guys for all coming today.
0: We can remain seated as we sing together. Be still, my soul.
2: A time of open mic, and to start us off, I'm going to invite Tom's band of younger brothers
7: to come up first. All right, we'll see how this goes. All right, so over the last couple years, I have lost two of my very closest friends, Mr. Ventrella and Mr. Corliss. Mr. Ventrella and Mr. Corliss were groomsmen in my wedding, and when I would tell people that, they would ask why I had two old guys in my wedding party. The answer was simple. Apart from my dad, those two men taught me and mentored me and showed me what it means to be a man more than any other person on this earth. They taught me how to work and think like a man, and how to fight temptation as a man. I will forever be thankful for their influence and their love for me. Mr. Corliss was my friend and brother. We did a lot of stuff together, but more than anything, we just enjoyed each other's company, telling stories, talking about guns, discussing the future. For many years, every Monday evening, the Corlisses would invite me to come over for dinner. It got to a point that if I didn't show up on a given week, their dog LT, little turd, would get depressed. Every week, Mrs. Corliss would make her famous taco salad and then disappear into her sewing room so Mr. Corliss and I could have some guy time. Mr. Corliss and I would then pour hot salsa, which was not for gringos, all over our salads and proceed to eat our dinner, which was almost in flames from the salsa he had made. (laughs) He would ask about work, school, girl, my girl. Then we would wrap up the conversation by talking again about guns or hunting. Mr. Corliss and I were soulmates, and especially when it came to guns, In fact, he even loaned me $20,000 to buy guns. True story. (laughs) We need more men like Mr. Corliss and Mr. Ventrella who are willing to take young men like me, my brother, my other brother here, under their arm to teach them what it looks like to fight in this battle of life. And I think one way that God uses the death of a loved one is to help us long for heaven even more. I'm thankful that I get to see Mr. Corliss again and I look forward to the day when I get to worship alongside him at the feet of our Savior. Thank you. Mr. Corliss impacted many people in many ways. The people you see here and speaking today are just a small sample of the people whose lives have been touched by him. On the outside, Mr. Corliss may have seemed like he was just a grumpy old man who made hot salsa, but inside, his heart was joyful and burning for the Lord, and he loved his church family. He was faithful to the Lord until his dying breath, which made him such a role model to so many of us. Therefore, in following the example of our brother in Christ, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Thank you.
8: Um, Kind of as you've already heard, uh, Mr. Corliss had a big impact on all the young men, some of which you see sitting over there as well. Um, And especially for me and my twin brother, uh, he was just always a consistent figure in our lives. And uh, growing up, I was already planning on mentioning this. The one thing I remember is his crushing handshake. Um, just really taught us uh, a lot more than that but um, Mr. Corliss and my brother had a, a special bond because my brother's uh, currently in boot camp uh, in the army so they uh, had a lot of conversations uh, re- pertaining to that and the difficulties that he would face uh, I'm sorry that my brother's not here to, to, to say this but um he, my brother uh, sent a letter with things that uh, he would want to say if he was here, so I'm going to try to read this. So, um, so here we are. Looking to my right during worship, I can see Mr. Corliss there. As we are called to stand during a song, he is slow to get up but still does so. Though his body is frail, his heart is alive and burning for his Savior. That's who Mr. Corliss was, not some super Christian who never sinned, but someone who understood how much he had been saved from. And that's how he could love others so much, because the love of the Father filled him. When I think about all the things that he meant to me and others as a husband, father, grandfather, friend, mentor, and brother in Christ, I'm amazed. How did one man touch so many lives in this way? Surely he must have been a great man, and he was, but he would have been the first to tell you, that the greatness in his life was all because of his Savior. So let us cling to the truth that he found to be true. Let us lean on the everlasting arms, for just as he was held fast, so too shall we. When we remember Mr. Corliss, let us remember the best thing about him, his King and his Savior. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sing which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, brothers and sisters, don't let his life's theme dissipate, but rather let it stir us on towards our Savior's presence, where we will one day hear, as Mr. Corliss has, well done, good and faithful one. Thank you. Uh,
2: They didn't didn't come up, but... um, we have some really special young men in our congregation and um, at the end of Tom's life some of those young men sitting over there were there every night to put him to bed and um, you can tell a lot about a person by the friends that he keeps and all of all of Tom's friends were like 20 years old. <laughs> right. So we're going to open the mic, and so I know. Um, go ahead. And then um, if you want to say something, just line up over here, and uh, if you could keep it uh, to a reasonable amount of time. It is Tom Corliss we're talking about, so I I realize things can get out of hand. <laughs>
3: My Uncle Terry, uh, dad's brother, wasn't able to make it. His son and, and, and daughter-in-law are here in person. And so my uncle sent me a, a little note he wanted to read. Uh, he wanted me to read for him. Uh, he says, I'm sorry I'm unable, I'm unable to be here in person to speak to you about my brother. But I hope you know I'm here in spirit to celebrate his passing into his new life. Time passes very quickly in our lives, and at a certain time, you start to remember more of your past and try to hold on to those memories. My brother and I grew up in a time in an area when life was tough and you had to fight for yourselves. Tom's character was shaped in so many different ways because of our neighborhood and our upbringing. His strong will, his quick-mindedness, adventurous outdoorsman personality gave him his character. I'll never forget the time after I came home from serving in the Army, and Tom wanted to take me fishing. I had never been subjected to the outskirts of a big city, didn't know much about nature in the high Sierras, but was willing to enjoy a trip with my brother. Well, we, in, we needed to make a fire, so Tom told me to go find some wood. So I ran off, and I, <coughs> I ran off, and I took an axe and I started to chop a tree down. Suddenly, a ranger appeared and was ready to write me up. But there was Tom, suddenly explaining to the ranger his story. He said, you have to excuse my brother, because he just got home from Vietnam. But he wasn't right. My uncle didn't even leave the USA. (laughs) After a little more coaxing from Tom, the ranger was very understanding. I guess he felt sorry for me, and he wished us well. Tom was quick in his thinking with an untrue story to help his little brother out of a jam. Then there was the time when my wife and I were invited over for Sunday this was a good one <laughs> v- invited over for Sunday dinner in Burbank, and Tom spent the whole day building a trap. Apparently, the, <coughs> the neighbor directly behind him, his dog, kept jumping on the back fence and barking continuously. The neighbor refused to discipline the dog, so Tom, Tom decided to take control. He spent all day building a trap, a trap that was like a a boomer or a, a I guess a boomer catapult, a piece of wood that's tied back, flexed with a pie tin on it. My dad placed a piece of dog poop on that pie tin, <laughs> and when the dog jumped on the fence, he cut it loose. It was a successful project, and it worked. The dog did not jump on the fence anymore. (laughs) Tom was an inventor in his own way. In fact, later he used his capability to build a beautiful two-story addition to his home in Burbank. My brother was always there for me when I needed him, from my automobile accident in 1965 to my last knee replacement surgery in 2022. And believe me, there was a lot more in between. He was always giving me encouragement and support. We live many miles from each other, but losing him has made, a, has made a big hole in my heart because I miss talking to him every week. He would always say it's my turn or it's your turn, but I do know that the hole in my heart will heal because he is with our Lord. I will see you. I will see you soon, bro. Okay.
9: My name's Eric at uh, Tom always called Good to See a Neighbor. We live down the street from Tom and Lucy, and a number of good memories of Tom. i always seen him walk through the neighborhood, but uh, the one that struck me the most was his compassion. As the time I spent in the hospital, Tom was always there. And it was neat because the ladies and the nurse that would guard the room, all you would hear is this deep voice coming down the hallway. And I would always expect a big man to come through and it was Tom. <laughs> but there was always a sense of peace with Tom and it meant a lot. It meant the world to me, him coming to spend time with me. Thank you for your father and your grandfather, great-grandfather, because he was a very kind man but very firm man and it meant the world to me. And a good funny story with him was uh, we are going to go get our CCW. And so we all went up to go shooting this years ago. It's my late 20s. And uh, we all set up and I pull out my little pocket 380 cause that's what I was gonna use for the summertime to carry. And Tom goes, hmm. And he pulls out his 1911 45 and he goes, really, that's all you have got? And we were laughing because big guy my size and little guy his size sitting side by side and he had the big one, I had the little one. and He knew where to put that round every single time. But uh, Tom was a good man, a big encourager, and what I appreciate talking with him at the end, he said, I'll see you soon. And there was no fear in his voice at all because he knew where he was going, and there was a great sense of peace. We love you.
10: I'm Jolene Goodat, and I'm Eric's wife. And like he mentioned, um, Tom and Lucy were our neighbors for about 12 and a half years. We lived two streets down So we moved into that house um, when I was very pregnant with our twin boys. And so just a wonderful memory I have being, at that time, a young wife and a young mom is I would load my twin boys into their double stroller and go visit Tom and Lucy for the afternoon. So at that time, Lucy's dad was still alive. So she would be across the street um, helping her dad and prepping food and stuff like that. And Tom would just be sitting in his chair, and uh, the twins would be toddling around the living room. He'd make them popcorn and give them other snacks, and it's just a wonderful memory I have. And I'm thankful that before he passed, I was able to tell him what his friendship meant to me. Uh, Their example of just hospitality, I enjoyed having um, Tom and Lucy in our home and vice versa and even being willing to watch two three-year-olds so that I could go visit my husband in the hospital at that time. So I'm so thankful that he pointed me to Christ. We talked a lot about his childhood, um, stories of how it was his responsibility to keep the coal going um, during those cold Michigan winters uh, when he was a little boy. And he actually encouraged me and my parenting a lot because he had such a chart a harsh childhood, that he wanted to make sure that I was loving my boys well and um, showing them affection and correcting in love, not just disciplining to discipline. So um, I'm really thankful for your dad, and my boys wanted to say a few words too.
11: Hi, my name's Abraham, and um, that's my mom and dad, and Tom Corliss was like a grandpa to me. So one day my mom told me we couldn't visit him because he was spending time with his family and it was his last days. And uh, I was like, I'll write a letter to him. And it turns out the next morning he passed away. And this is my letter to him. (laughs) Dear Mr. Corliss, I miss you, but I know you are in a better place. But that does not make it easy. (laughs) I'm very happy that you have your legs back. You can eat spicy salsa. And have your whiskey. I will miss you, but I will see you very soon. You pointed me to Christ. You are a grandpa to me. And I hope you can forgive me for not writing sooner. Sincerely Abraham. Um hello, I'm Winston Goodat, and I am Abraham's identical twin brother. Yes, identical twins. Um Uh, Mr. Corliss was kind of like an uh, adopted grandpa, and uh, me and him would talk about the Air Force because I have an interest in joining uh, that branch of the military. And he one time gave me a uh, submarine encyclopedia, which I thought was really cool. And uh, here's my letter to Mr. Corliss. For Mrs. Corliss. Dear Mr. Corliss, I wish I could shake your hand and hear your voice and be with you. I wish I could have I wish I could have said goodbye. I wish I was with you when you were passing. But I know you're with the Lord, seeing his glory. I know you have no more pain and no more sorrow. I know you are not thinking of me, but we're thinking of you. As Romans 8:38 says, you cannot be separated from him. Love you and miss you. Winston G. P.S., thank you for serving our country.
12: Well, my name's Eric, and this is my wife, Cass. And uh, we worshiped alongside Tom and Lucy for many, many years. We sat next to them, we sang songs to our Savior every Sunday. And I'm going to greatly miss that. The scripture says that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And that's what was, Tom was. He was a loyal brother in Christ. And he had his quirks, especially during worship. He would, about, when he thought Pastor Brian should be done with the sermon, <laughs> he would zip his Bible like super loud. Brian didn't fall for it at all. (laughs) I loved worshiping and singing with Tom. Regularly, he would be lifting his hands to worship the Savior that rescued him. We loved praying with Tom. We would go over to his house, and without fail, I would ask, do you want to pray? And he would say yes, and to hear his, uh, his heart for his Savior and the love that he had for the one that rescued him from the pit of hell. It was just priceless. And it built my, build my faith up, and um, I'll miss him greatly.
13: Well, it's hard to believe that that Mr. Corliss is not with us anymore. But we're so thankful that we know where he is. And um, I just wanted to share a story. Uh, When I was pregnant with our youngest boy, who's now 13, Jasper, um, we were kind of going through some tough times financially. Our house hadn't sold down in San Diego, and we were waiting on the Lord. And Mr. Corliss just had this really thoughtful way of slipping us some bison meat every <laughs> every Sunday. <laughs> and uh, he and Lucy were the first ones to come and see Jasper at our house when we brought him home from the hospital. And they just had such a a way of caring for our little three-year-old twins and little Spur and just letting them know that each one of them were special and hooking him up with some good bison chili. <laughs> that helped me so much when I couldn't cook, and I'm just so thankful. We love you.
14: Well, good afternoon. I'm Nathan Weller, and I wanted to... Just uh, share the memory from a dad 's perspective, and um, had my boys kind of adopted by Tom and lucy and and uh, well the girls too by lucy but uh, but with Tom investing his life in my boys uh, from from a dad 's perspective I, I don 't know how you get something like that. I mean it is a huge blessing of the Lord to have somebody that's just willing to take your boys on and just love them and and teach them from a godly perspective, as Tom did. And so I'm really grateful for that, uh, that investment that he made, as well as all the contraband. He was always slipping magazines into church to pass off to them or brown paper bags full of, mm, who knows what was in those. But, uh, but it was definitely hot stuff, so... Um, so we were so blessed, so blessed by, uh, by Tom and so grateful for the, the investment that, uh, that he made. And if you've got gray hair, you better be pouring your life into younger people. And if you're younger and you don't have that many gray hairs, look for somebody that does and uh, encourage them and, and uh, live life together. So thank you.
15: Hi there. My name is Heiko. Um, Worshipped alongside of Tom Corliss for the last, what, eight and a half years or so. Uh, We unfortunately weren't super close, so we didn't spend uh, time together outside of church much, uh, even though there was opportunity, and that's my biggest regret, that I never took him uh, up on those opportunities to Spend more time with Tom, but, uh, he was one of those guys that you just couldn't walk past here in church without shaking his hand and having a brief conversation with. And it was always very special to me to, you know, have this, this one guy that would, you know, even though he was old and frail and had a hard time getting out of his chair, he would stand up, look in my eyes and shake my hands. And, um, uh, I could tell that, um, you know, he just loved, the church and the the families here, and especially the kids. Even my young boys uh, that are now um, 12 and 8, they always went over and shook his hands and, you know, had to look into his eyes, not look somewhere else when you're shaking someone's hand. Tom would also always make a point of um, making sure I got a portion of his hot sauce. Um, I have to admit, I never made it way past about half the jar because it was so hot sometimes that uh you know it burns twice if you know what i mean (laughs) so yeah i i will really miss those uh brief moments on a sunday morning to see tom here and shake his hand and uh we love you guys thank you
16: Um, I'm Tom's granddaughter, Janie. Um, I'm probably best regarded as his uh, crazy granddaughter from L.A. Um, I tend to word vomit, and I did not prepare anything, so forgive me. Um, I just wanted to come up here on behalf of my my family and my cousins, and say that there's a lot, you know, um, we're grateful for for our pop. Uh, um, there was a lot of distance between me and my papa, which was something that I was very sad about. Um, But nonetheless, he always acknowledged everything. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Because it's hard to word vomit when you're crying. Um, He always acknowledged everything from every birthday and Christmas, you know, graduations and even me getting my first job. But I think what we were the most grateful for with my papa was giving us the role models that we have, like our, like our parents, and raising them <laughs> and instilling so much into the people that raised us. So I just wanted to say that on behalf of all the cousins. You know, we're all so grateful that Papa was able to give you us <laughs> and to pass along everything that he taught you, for better or for worse. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Let's stand and sing together hymn 642, Be Thou My Vision.
2: Lucy, we love you. And um, it's going to take a little getting used to of just saying Lucy. Because it's always been Lucy and Tom. Or Tom and Lucy, of course. Or St. Thomas and Lucy. Well... I'd like to read a passage of scripture. Um, (laughs) There was no second thought um, what the text would be today. And it's in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And the Apostle Paul says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course I've kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Well, if there's anything that has come through again and again and again, is that Tom was tough, He was a soldier. Tom was a man's man. Some of you will remember that we were having 110 mile an hour gusts through the valley. And he decided that since the rain gutter was banging and was in danger of coming off, which it seemed to me that you could put it back on after the storm... Tom gets up on the ladder and, of course, he's blown over and then he drags himself into the house and does SOS on, on his flashlight. And he, the first Sunday he came rolling in to church. I said, Tom, what were you thinking? And, of course, he looked at me like I was a total idiot. And he said, well, who else was going to get up there and fix it? And that was Tom. But Tom also had a heart of gold, ministering to the kids in his neighborhood, fixing their bikes and ministering to the elderly. And Tom, for all of his, for all of his toughness, for all of his stubbornness, for all of his orneriness, Tom loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just recently went back over his his uh, membership form and just was so blessed to go back and to read the story of you and the kids attending church and then Tom going the next week and experiencing the love of God and asking Christ to be his Lord and his Savior and then professing that faith in the waters of baptism. And it's been mentioned that, that that once the Lord laid hold of Tom, there was no looking back. It really was the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. And that's not to say that Tom was a perfect man because he was far from a perfect man. One of the memories that I will have indelibly in my mind until I'm an old man is being there with Tom and he's close to entering into glory and Lucy, 43 years, right? Lucy walked up to him and she says, I love you, old man. It's been 43 amazing years. Well, at least they've been interesting. So they moved to Nevada in 93, and Tom and Lucy started attending Grace Community Church in 1997, and for many, many, many years, Tom and Lucy have been a fixture at Grace Community Church, sitting right back there, and yes, Eric, I ignored him zipping his Bible case. Tom was young at heart. And this was revealed by the fact that most of his friends, as I mentioned, were all under 20 years old. The young guys in our church loved Mr. Corliss. There was so much to, to learn from him. And I want to just say that you guys, you served him well. And as Tom, that indestructible guy who never looked or acted his age began to fail. He, like the Apostle Paul in our text, knew that the time of his departure had come. And as Tom's time became increasingly obvious, we gathered at the house, Isaiah, Daniel, me, Adam, And he kept faking us out. We thought, this is it. He's gone. And then he'd breathe again. <laughs> and I don't know how you do this for like 12 hours, taking one breath every 30 seconds. But it was clear that Tom, Tom was not fighting leaving this world to go and be with Jesus that that wasn't it at all. Tom was actually just sticking his finger in our eye for us telling them he was going home soon. I cannot think of any better words to describe Tom than the apostle's words in 2 Timothy 4. The good fight I have fought the race I have completed the faith I have kept. Tom fought the good fight all the way to the end. And there was something that Tom knew that a lot of Christians seem to be oblivious to and that is that is real Christianity is a fight. JC Ryle reminds us the true Christian is called to be a soldier And must behave as such from the day of his conversion to the day of his death. And that's what Tom did. But notice also it wasn't just a fight that he fought all the way to the end. It's a good fight. Now I'm not saying every fight Tom was in was a good fight. But this fight was a good fight. And it was a good fight because it's fought under the best of all kings the greatest of all commanders-in-chief. It's a good fight because of the, of the help and the weaponry and the promises that Christ gives to each one of his soldiers. And Tom was a faithful soldier who fought the good fight under his loving commander, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he fought all the way to the end. Tom also finished the race that race which is described for us in Hebrews 12 as that race that has been set before us, Tom actually understood that it wasn't a sprint. It was a marathon. And you kept running. And you kept enduring. And you kept your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. That very same text tells us fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. And Tom ran that race. And he ran it all the way to the end, eyes fixed on Jesus. Tom also kept the faith. Tom held fast to the precious truths of the gospel And the second amendment. Tom loved his Bible. He loved the gospel. He loved the truth. And he loved God's people. He kept the faith. All the way to the end. The church gathered at Tom and Lucy's. for what we call an even song. We gather on the outside, and Tom and Lucy were on the inside. Windows were open. Tom, at this point, was weak. And the church gathered to sing. And I was up on the porch, and I could see right through... The window screen. And what I saw was a man who was on the verge of death, mouthing the words of the hymns that he's loved for many years, tears streaming down his face as he sang mouthed those words of praise to his Savior. It was an overwhelming experience. And I thought to myself, he's almost home. He's so close to crossing the finish line. But make no mistake about it, Tom Corliss didn't finish didn't cross the finish line because he was some sort of spectacular soldier for Jesus. Tom crossed the finish line because Jesus held Tom and held him fast all the way to the end. And Tom would have said the same thing. So what a testimony. If you call yourself a Christian, you need to remember, you need to think about fighting every single round of the fight. If you're a Christian, you have, to, you have to think about not walking off the battlefield until the last enemy has been defeated. As a Christian, you need to think about the race that's set before you and be absolutely determined by the grace of God to keep running until you hit that finish line. You need to think about holding fast to the faith, not swerving to the right or the left and being absolutely resolved in your heart that I will not let go because I can't let go. If you're a Christian, you need to think about your end Solomon tells us that it's better to go to a funeral than to a party because this is the end for every man. And the living need to take it to heart. You need to think about his praise being on your lips and in your heart. As you draw your last breath and close your eyelids in death, you need to look to Christ, our all sufficient Savior, and say, without you and without your grace, none of this will happen. And so, Lord, hold me fast. Remind me, Jesus, that your victory is my victory and your endurance is my endurance. And so keep me to the end, blessed Savior. If you're not a Christian, you need to realize that just as sure as Tom's day came, your day will come too. It's been appointed for man once to die. Everyone, everyone in this room is going to die. I can guarantee the statistics, one out of one, And as your life dwindles to an end, and by the way, even if you're a young person, your life is going to be over before you know it. It's a vapor. I see a lot of old people here today, and I'll tell you what every one of these old people will tell you. And that is, life went by way faster than I ever thought it could. And so you have to remember that as your life comes, dwindles down to an end, what will you be able to say when you stand before a holy God? Are you going to try to offer up your own righteousness or your own works? That doesn't bring you any comfort in this life. Notice, nobody here today said that Tom Corliss is in heaven because he was a good man. Tom Corliss is in heaven today because he has a good Savior. And so Tom's memorial affords you one more opportunity to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and to trust him and to be saved. I know as a matter of fact, indisputably, that there would be nothing that would make Tom happier than to know that somebody at his memorial service heard the gospel and God opened their heart and they were saved. And so brothers and sisters, as our dear brother Tom breathed his last, he went from the land of the dying Into the land of the living. He entered into the presence of his Savior to whom he owed everything. And we say that with the utmost confidence. Tom knew it. I hope that you do too. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, how we thank you for the life of Tom Corliss. And Lord, we, we thank you for all the interesting things and all the funny stories. And we, we thank you for the, the character that Tom was. But Father, all of that pales into insignificance when we think of your grace in Tom's life, and that's what we thank you most for, is your grace, your redeeming grace, the forgiveness of his sins, the hope of eternal life. And so, Father, today we pray that you would comfort the family. Father, we pray that you would would remind them, Lord, even as they spend time with each other, that you gave them a gift in Tom. And for as long as they had him, it was a blessing. And so, Father, we ask that you would receive our praise and our thanks for our dear brother. And, Father, we rejoice that he and hopefully we are able to say to live as Christ and to die is gain. Amen.
17: Well,
0: if you would please stand as we sing together hymn 691, It Is Well With My Soul. attending our service this afternoon. There will be a light reception in the foyer after the service.